So over the past few Sundays, we've been looking at this part of Luke's gospel together. And we've had a whole series of Sundays of blocks of stuff that Jesus has said. We've called it Jesus Joins Us Live. We've used this shocking pink microphone to symbolize the fact that um, Jesus is doing the talking. Jesus is doing the teaching. And um, I think both Mark and I would say there have been weeks when we've put this together where we've been thinking, that's a bit strong. I wouldn't have put it a bit like, I'd have put a joke in at least. That's a, it's a bit, a bit, yeah, a bit strong, Jesus. We've gone with it. And I know that people have found that too. It's not just that I can see it in your eyes as I'm speaking, which I can, but people have, have said to me afterwards, oh, that, was a bit, that was a bit much, wasn't it? A bit difficult, a bit hard from Jesus. And we've kind of, from time to time, perhaps wondered, I wonder if that microphone has got a mute switch, because, or at least a pause button, because I'd kind of like to dial that back a little bit, certainly when I'm with my friends. And yet here we are, at the end of the sequence. And all of that wonderful stuff that Jesus has done in the last couple of chapters, all that amazing teaching, is boiling down to this moment. Because Jesus begins the story, verse 10, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. What was he teaching? What we've been paying attention to for the past few weeks. Everything that he said was being boiled down and being communicated. And a woman turns up who is in need of healing, who is in need of deliverance from Satan's control. And Jesus, in his authority and in his power, heals the woman. It's an extraordinary. It's like everything that he's been saying is distilled down to this moment. Jesus' teaching put into practice for this woman. The woman who, well, Luke says that she'd been crippled by a spirit for 18 years, verse 11. Jesus says a little bit later on, he adds a word. Verse 16, whom Satan has kept down for 18 long years. I bet they were long years for her, don't you? 18 long years and suddenly, she is healed. Suddenly, she is freed. Now, if, if you're a, a Bible reader, you will know that you've got stuff which is to do with sickness and stuff which is to do with Satan. And Jesus will frequently treat the two as two separate things. And on occasion, he will say that they are intimately connected. Here, for this woman, they are. He she has been bound by Satan for 18 long years. And Jesus liberates her. Easily defeats Satan. Easily solves her sickness. And the guy who actually runs the synagogue is absolutely furious. And he is trying to find the mute button. So... Um, there he is. He's, he's kind of lost control of what's happening in, the, in his synagogue that Sabbath. And he does a bit of, well, there is this horrible thing called mansplaining, isn't there? 
he kind of does God-splaining. So he's, whoa, let's put this over. Let's just make sure we put Jesus on mute for the time being. Because that's basically what he does. He says, look, I, I'm, how wonderful that this woman's been healed. Um, it's not really the time and place for that, is it? Uh, if you could come back tomorrow, that would be absolutely lovely. But we've got a church service to get on with. So just... Um, do come back tomorrow. It would be lovely. When Jesus said, any of you can come and be healed right now, he didn't actually mean that. There's a right time and there's a right place and it's not now. It's not here, somewhere else. And Jesus absolutely rips into him, doesn't he? Hypocrite. Fake. That is plural. Hypocrites, plural, because it's not just him. It is a whole bunch of people he's saying you are saying that the sabbath law means that i can't do this here and now you hypocrites you've got animals out there you've got sheep you've got cows you've worked out how to feed them and water them on the sabbath haven't you and here you've got someone a daughter of abraham who has been bound for 18 long years and you would say to her could you come back tomorrow it's the Sabbath. I don't really think it works. Now, I think if we understand why this guy puts Jesus on mute, we will understand how it goes from the first century to the 21st century, and we will see how we put Jesus on mute today. And it's to do with something to do with the, the law, and if we work it out, we can see how it works. So we're dealing with Sabbath law, and the way that the law in the Old Testament worked was this. It's not like huge books of laws like you find in many Western countries now, which covers every possible eventuality. What the Old Testament law gives you is a core idea, maybe a core story, and leave you to work out the principles from that. So God gave them the law about the Sabbath day with an explanation. So let's flip back and let's look at one. It comes twice in the Old Testament, the, the law about the Sabbath um, in the Ten Commandments. Let's look at the second time it comes up, which is in the book of Deuteronomy. Page 184, Deuteronomy chapter 5. And I want you to pay attention to the reason why it's there. Because in the earlier one, it's to do with creation in Exodus. Deuteronomy gives a different reason why the Sabbath is important. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt... And the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord, has Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Sabbath is about freedom. It's about release. It's about the blessing of everything that God has done. And, and even here, I mean, it mentions the animals have to rest... 
Now, what then happened was you get all sorts of explanations. So they, they did sit down and say, so I'm not allowed to work with my cows, but I still need to be kind to them to make sure they got the food and the water. So doing that was allowed. They sort of built on the law and explained it. So I could look after the animals because that is a kind and loving thing to do. And then, as quite often happens with laws, legalism crept in. Now, legalism is this. Legalism is when you forget the reason for the law, the goal of the law. God is good. He wants to bless us and give us rest and all those sorts of things. Instead, you try to get the, the law to work to your advantage. And that's what Jesus rips the mask off. He, he says, you are looking for loopholes. Sometimes he does that. There's, there's a whole section where he rips into the loophole idea. And they've got the idea, they were saying, well, I know that we're not to take oaths in God's name. Well, if I take oaths in the name of the temple, that's not taking it in God's name, is it? Or if I take oaths by the altar, that's not taking it in God's name, so it's not as binding. You see how they made loopholes? Where God had given an absolute, they, they found a way through. Other times, they use legalism by way of control. And that's what's going on here. The synagogue ruler wants to keep control of the synagogue, control of the crowd, it, it, his place, his time, and he's in charge. So he's going to use the law as a way of blocking somebody else getting the blessing. And Jesus says, how dare you use the law to control somebody else? How dare you invent this stuff whereby an animal can get blessed, but a person can't get blessed? You're going to leave here, take time and go and look after your cow and your sheep, but you can't look after her. The issue is very clearly the Sabbath. Did you spot how many times it comes? It comes up five times. Verse 10, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching. Verse 14, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. So come and behold on those days, not on the Sabbath. Verse 13, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath? Verse 16, be set free on the Sabbath day. Sabbath is the day of blessing, the day of freedom. Now notice what Jesus does. He's not saying you don't need these Sabbath laws. They're restrictive. Chuck them out. What he says, if you really understood the Sabbath, you would see that it's liberating. How utterly appropriate. On the, the, the day which is to remember how God has freed you from slavery, how utterly appropriate that I free somebody from sin. Jesus never says, throw out the Old Testament law. Instead, what he says is about the Sabbath and about all the other stuff. He says he fulfills it. Now, this is really about, this is one of those Sundays where I'm going to get you to work, okay? And get you to think. Uh, if you can manage to have three thoughts running in your brain, we're there. If, if you, it might keep your brain a little bit warm to get some thoughts going through. But this will help us to see how and why people put Jesus on mute. And it's to do with the Old Testament law. Because one time, Jesus seems to slam into it like this. 
and say it, it, it doesn't help people at all. Other times, he really insists on it and says it's bigger than you thought it was. So Christian thinking has stood back at what Jesus does and say, look, there are three streams of Old Testament law which Jesus fulfills. One stream is to do with the temple and the priests and the worship. Another stream is to do with the law of the land and how it's governed and the king. And the third stream is to do with the moral law, what's right and what's wrong, what's ethics. And Jesus fulfills all three, but in slightly different ways. So you've got the law to do with the temple and the worship, and ultimately to do with all the sacrifices. And what Jesus comes to do is to die for us as the ultimate sacrifice. He fulfills it by being the clearest, most positive example of what all the temple is designed to do. He says, I'm here as the real thing. You don't need that anymore. So if you want a mental image of all that, the temple law, think of it as a fax machine. I mean, who needs a fax machine? The, I can remember, it was almost a weekend when they went from being absolutely vital to being completely irrelevant. I remember reading a, getting a fax from um, a publisher in Australia, and spool after spool of paper coming out of the fax machine. Remember that? Who needs those anymore? Temple's like a fax machine. Then you've got the idea of all the stuff to do with the king and the government and how you obey and all those sorts of things. And Jesus says he is the final king. The crown comes to him. And all of the civil laws point to him and, well, think of them like, a na like the national anthem. Up till a few months ago, what was our national anthem? God save the queen. What is it now? God save the king. It's changed. You've got a change of monarch. So things change. And we are no longer under King David or King Solomon. We are under King Jesus. Jesus is, in fact, he says it very clearly. Verse 15, the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Jesus is Lord now. So if you want to think about the laws of of the land type stuff, think of it like the national anthem. We have a new king, and things change. It's no longer HMS Her Majesty's ship, it's HMS His Majesty's ship. We have a new king. Things are different. Then you've got the third kind of law, which is the moral law, the ethical law. And Jesus explains that when he fulfills it, he shows that what it's really, really all about. There's a, there's a classic pattern Jesus uses where he says, You've heard it said, but I say to you. And when he says that, he normally ramps up the stakes. You've heard it said, don't commit murder. I tell you, don't even get angry. That makes things harder, doesn't it? Because don't commit murder is one of those commands you think, well, I'll stick that in my... It's not likely. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm really not going to do that. I'll, I'll put that on the mantelpiece just in case I need it at some stage in the future to remind me. And Jesus turns up the dial on it and he says, you need this every single day. I say to you, don't even get anger. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Easy, safe, tick. No, don't even commit lust. Think about that every time you click on a website, he says. 
He intensifies it. He doesn't remove it. He doesn't say, so murder doesn't matter anymore, adultery doesn't matter anymore. He says, it's, it's more than you ever thought. So if you want a mental image for this part of the law, if the, if the temple is like a fax machine, which you don't need, and all the stuff to do with the civil law is like a national anthem, which changes with the king, think of this like that funny little symbol on your computer keyboard, the at symbol. Now, when you had a typewriter, those of you who had typewriters, the at symbol sat there unused. I, maybe if you worked in a shop or an accountancy, you used the at symbol. But for most of us, it was completely irrelevant, wasn't it? You didn't use the at symbol. Now, with email addresses, it's one of the most used keys on the keyboard, isn't it? So and so and so, at such and such. It comes up in every single email address. Suddenly, the at symbol has gone from being completely irrelevant, gathering dust on the keyboard, to being something you have to clean because you use it so much. The at symbol has become intensified. It's become more important. And that's what Jesus says here, that the moral law is everywhere. So, you could be like those kind of legalists who put Jesus on mute by saying Jesus never came. Like the synagogue ruler who says, nothing to see here, come back tomorrow if you like. Today we're going to carry on as if Jesus never came. I know you think you've just seen a healing and Satan defeated, there's nothing to see really. The three kinds of law are still completely in place together with all our loopholes. Um, but I'm in charge and legalism is in control. Or we could take the other way, and I think this is more of a 21st century way. We, we put Jesus on mute by insisting on the loopholes. We do the God-splaining. How old-fashioned the Old Testament is. We really don't need it. I know that Jesus came, uh, and well, so we can, we can just shred them now, can't we? Um, Jesus just said, be nice to each other, be a good neighbor. That's the summary of Christianity, isn't it? So we can just put it all to one side and ignore it, look for loopholes. Jesus never said that, did he? Jesus never said, just be nice to each other and that's it. And that's why people put him on mute, because they know he says far, far more. They put him on mute because they'd rather tame him. You can see it every day, well, hear it every day, on Radio 4, on Thought for the Day, in which, for a brief one minute, you take the mute button off, and Jesus is allowed to, well, if, if it's a Christian thing, Jesus is allowed to say something, and then you put the mute back on, button back on again, because you can allow a little bit of Jesus in there, but not too much, because Jesus has got nothing at all to say about the budget, has he? Or about the Ukraine or about Qatar. Jesus has got nothing to say about that, so we'll allow him to say a little bit nice uh, about being nice to neighbours, and then we'll click him off again, because he's a bit too dangerous otherwise. Or maybe you've experienced it yourself at work. Maybe you have found your own finger hovering over the mute button. As you think, there's a time and a place for this Christian stuff, and that's great on Sundays, but really I can't take it into the classroom. Really, I can't take it into the consulting room. 
Really, I can't take it into the staff room. I'm not going to tell you which way around this goes, but some of us are like synagogue rulers and some of us are like the woman here. Some of us need to hear that hard word that Jesus says, hypocrite. Maybe you use the Bible to control other people. Maybe you use it for yourself for loopholes. But whatever it is, you're not really engaging with Jesus. You're putting him on mute. You're in charge of what the Bible says, not him. If that is you, if you are like that, then can I encourage you, <laughs> do more than encourage you, stop it. The reason we gave you those bookmarks with the whole of Luke's gospel laid out for daily readings as we did this is because we want as a church family to stop ourselves editing what the Bible says. We need the whole thing, full strength, full up, all the time. So stop putting Jesus on mute if that's you. Some of us have been on the receiving end of it. And we need to position ourselves like the woman here. We are internally bent over. We are bound. We are imprisoned. We're under Satan's grip and have been so for 18 long years. Longer, perhaps. Now, this is not the synagogue. I am not Jesus. This is not the Sabbath. All sorts of things have changed. Jesus is doing something remarkably intense here. Not every physical illness is to do with what Satan has done to us. Our sin may or may not be related, but the wonderful liberating power of Jesus is not under our control. He's in charge. And I'm going to pray now for him to do his work among us. Let's be quiet for a moment. Lord Jesus, some of us need to confess to you that we do put you on mute. That we pick and choose the parts of your word that we find convenient, acceptable, nice. And we edit out those parts that we find difficult, that we find challenging, and we find countercultural. And Lord Jesus, you know our hearts. And we ask for your forgiveness. For some of us, Lord Jesus, identify with this woman, this daughter of Abraham, a precious member of the promised people of God. whom Satan has kept bound. Lord Jesus, we ask that you will do your liberating work among us. By your teaching, we pray that you will 
remove, break the power of Satan, release us and free us to serve you with delight. Amen.